Welcome back to the YOY podcast, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you could join us again for uh, another episode in which we talk about the failings and flailings of our our favorite baseball franchise. We only mock those we love, and we only drink heavily because of those that we love, and we only curse out loud in front of the TV at embarrassing moments because of those we love. Am I missing anything, Tyler? Nope, that's about it. We have a lot of <laughs> a lot of deep seated love that is scarring us forevermore and making us a real uh, a bad invite to parties. Yeah, uh, we we don't get out much anymore. That's all right. That's all right. We have enough to do. Yeah, um, we have clouds to yell at. Uh, <laughs> voids we, to we scream to, into. We have to shake our fists. That doesn't just happen. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time um, because you thought that this was a podcast about The Bachelorette, um, I have some terribly disappointing news for you. Uh, This is a Seattle Mariners podcast. It is, Um, yeah. And while The Bachelorette is an amazing cluster dumpster fuck, I think that we coined that term Mm -hmm. uh, last week, we probably won't be talking about it on every show, much to, I'm sure, the Wyo Wives chagrin. yeah. It'll be harder to get them to, to like and share our, our posts on Facebook. <laughs> well, we've, we've discussed a couple different uh, kinds of topics on this show. We've gone, we've gone over players that we love to hate. Um, we've gone over uh, seasons that were disasters. Uh, and then uh, our last episode, we talked about the 2001 ALCS, which was um, the epitome of uh, the paranoia that Mariners fans feel whenever something good happens to the team. So I think it's only fitting that uh, we talk about something that happened to add to the paranoia that the Mariners feel every time they make a transaction, <laughs> which is <laughs> one of the staples of the Seattle Mariner franchise, uh, making terrible trades. Yep. We had options to choose from. Mm -hmm. No shortage of material in this avenue. Uh, But we landed on probably one of the most lopsided trades in history. And not Mariner's history. Not Mariner's history. This is baseball history. This is a historically bad trade for a franchise known for really bad trades. Yeah. And it happened on February 8th, 2008, when the Seattle Mariners sent Adam Jones, George Sherrill, Chris Tillman, Cam Migolio, and Tony Butler to the Orioles for, and you would think with all those guys going, we'd get like a, a cast of characters back, but instead we got one character by the name of Eric Bedard. Oh, old bird bones Bedard. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, we had a lot to choose from, and uh, I'm not going to spoil anything because we'll probably wind up discussing some of the other trades that the Mariners have made um, in later episodes, but this one probably takes the cake. I think we're leading with strength here. 
with this trade um, because as I mean, Mariners fans already kind of know, um, and we're just going to be pointing out the obvious. But this this is an embarrassment for the whole franchise. Yeah, on the on the list of worst trades in the franchise's history, this is number one with a bullet. Yes, and that bullet is for all of the fans who had to watch this guy try and pitch for three seasons. Try and pitch more than six innings for three seasons. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we should kind of get into what happened in 2008 that kind of led to fucking Bill Bavese. We, we seriously need to do a, like, a, a Bill Bavese library episode of like mm-hmm. his worst moves and... See if we can't get him on the show and see if he'll cry um, and apologize for something. But I honestly don't don't think that that would happen. I feel like you would blame other people. Yeah, he's he's rich enough that this is going to just roll off his back. <laughs> that's that's true. I guess I shouldn't be I shouldn't feel that bad for him. Yeah, money um, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does make failure feel a lot better. <laughs> That's a that's a bumper sticker, man. I think so. so yeah, so in in uh, 2008, the Mariners are looking to strengthen their starting rotation. Uh, take a little bit of pressure off of the bullpen by getting up some innings eaters. Um, yeah, we talked a little to... bit about this in a, in the previous episode where we talked about <laughs> one Carlos Silva. Carlos the Silva. Silva. Carlos the Silva Silva. Yeah. Uh, yoga um, enthusiast, mm-hmm. uh, teammate punching enthusiast. Yeah, yeah. He had a lot of interests. Oh, a lot of interests. Um, winning was not one of them. No. Well, he had. Um, he was. He had to get to yoga. <laughs> you, you can only get a couple of interests. Yeah, and like parking there is like really competitive. You need to get there early. <laughs> So, yeah, Bill Vivesi, quote-unquote, accomplishes this by signing Carlos Silva in, in free agency and then trading during the offseason five players. Um, a couple of them, uh, Adam Jones and George Sherrill, had already played a couple seasons for the Mariners, uh, not necessarily a lot. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't significant players. Yeah. Uh, Adam Jones was still, like, very young uh, he was kind of a spot start, fourth, fifth outfielder kind of guy for them. Uh, George Sherrill was just kind of a middle relief guy, didn't really have a, a real role. Um, and the rest yeah. of the guys were minor leaguers, though Like Chris Tillman had already shown that he was a good player in the minor leagues. But we'll get more into that later, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. We'll get so, to talk a lot about Chris. Yeah, so, he, so Bavese signs Carlos Silva. Feels really good about that. And then it goes out and he trades five players for one 28-year-old left-handed Eric Bedard. And he immediately feels like he has won the offseason. He's like, that's it. (laughs) We're done. Boom. Put us in the playoffs. No more moves to be made. No more. We don't need to make any other moves. Um, And we all remember how the 2008 season went. I do. But... At the time, like you look at what Bedard had done for Baltimore. Uh, he, he pitched there for four years. He's a four-year starter for them. 
and he had really developed into the ace of their rotation uh, in 2006, mm-hmm. yeah. 2007. In those two years, he goes 28 and 16 with a 3.47 ERA. He actually finishes fifth in the AL Cy Young voting in 2007. Uh, that year, he sets a team record for the Orioles with 221 strikeouts. He allowed a league-low 6.97 hits per nine innings. He led the American League with 10.93 strikeouts per nine innings, and he was fourth overall in the AL in ERA with a 3.16. So he was, he was at his peak in 2007. and Continuing the trend of picking players at their peak so that they can uh, come down the hill violently. Yeah. Uh, with the Mariners. Yeah, Seattle made sure to really push him down that hill that he had just reached the top of in 2007. <laughs> because you, like, the feeling around the league was that Eric Bedard was a star in the making. Like, 2007 was going to be his launching point to becoming a dominant left-handed ace in baseball. So when, like, when Baltimore started shopping him, everybody expected them to get a large haul for him if he was going to move at all. Yeah. Baltimore uh essentially I mean they completed one of the one of the greatest heists in baseball history with Eric Bedard. Um it makes you feel like they had to know something was going on, but really they just they got lucky that they they had a star on the rise that no one was going to know exactly how quickly he would fall, and a lot of that was due to injury, but some of that is attitude. Um, and they uh, they got to deal with uh, one of the worst GMs in all of baseball. Yeah. They talked about it afterwards. Everybody was really excited about it. It was, it was a drawn-out process. Uh, they had really had the framework for a deal in place for like two, three weeks before it finally gets done. And Andy McPhail the Orioles president of baseball operations, had this quote after it was done. He says, quote, We agreed to three names fairly quickly, but getting the fourth and fifth out of him, talking about Bill Bavese, was like getting water out of a stone. We traded one of the game's best young left-handed pitchers, but in exchange, we think we improved the long-term outlook for the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Which it turns out to be the understatement of the century. Oh. <laughs> yes. He goes on to say, there aren't too many five-for-one trades anymore. We're delighted to have all five in the system. And you bet they were. And there's a reason that five-for-one trades don't happen very often. Mm-hmm. It's because even if, even if Eric Bedard had stayed healthy, there is very little chance that he is as valuable as five players put together. Yep. Now... We know that he did not stay healthy, and so it becomes even worse when you look at it. But at the time, everyone was so excited. You had Eric Bedard saying, this is a great feeling. It's great. He was so excited. Bill Vasey, of course, thought he had just pulled off the coup of the century. He uh, not only thought that they had pulled off the coup of the century, he had uh, some um, bombastic words to... Uh, to give, which was, we have a good, solid five-man staff, maybe as good as there is. And I don't know if he's saying maybe as good as there is in baseball, as good as there is in the American League, and the AL West, or maybe like as good of a starting rotation there is in AAA. 
as good as there is among the players that are available for us to roll out. <laughs> so here is the uh, here is the pitching staff of 2008 that uh, Bill Bavese thought is as good as there is. And uh, I'm going to list these in order of games started. Number one being Felix Hernandez. So, all right, I'll give you that, Bill. Number two, Jared Washburn. Number three, Carlos Silva. And we've number already four. discussed Carlos Silva. <laughs> yes. Uh, number four is uh, Miguel Batista. Number five is Eric Bedard. And number six is R.A. Dickey. And none of them did very well. No. Nope. But, man, Bill Vivesi thought they were going <laughs> to. No one on the team had, uh, had double digits in win in 2008. Not necessarily entirely the fault of the pitching staff, but uh, Bedard uh, was not helpful, um, he was which we'll get into a little bit later. But again, at the time, I, I don't understand how you can say that this is an amazing trade for you. I think maybe you begrudgingly say, like, yeah, we got what we wanted, but we gave up a little bit more than we wanted as well. Um, Maybe you're just having to kind of pitch it like it's all roses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you look at like how much they gave away, and so then with, with Bedard coming in with that kind of pressure on him, he now has to be the, the ace for this franchise. And mm-hmm. this, this is supposed to be the move that makes Seattle a contender in 2008. And that's crazy to say, knowing how, <laughs> now how 2008 ended up going. But this was the move that we're like, okay, this is a contender. Bedard's going to have to, he's going to lead that staff. He's experienced. And he ended up being the opening day starter for this team ahead of Felix Hernandez, which is crazy in hindsight. So the, um, this, this trade beyond just turning out to be a disaster in terms of output from the player player that's not plural player that they received it, it, it it's one of those things where like you should have seen the omen coming because it was not smooth it wasn't it seemed like fate itself was trying to <laughs> tell them maybe we need to walk away from this deal they they admitted afterwards they had a framework for this deal that again happened on February 8th, they had the deal in place January 24th. Mm-hmm. So a full two weeks where they have everything agreed to, and then they just sit on it. And the Mariners say it's because the Orioles are scouring the medical files on all their incoming players, which makes sense. They're getting basically half of a starting lineup. Yeah. They need to go through that. That There's takes some, some time. Paperwork. There's some paperwork involved. Uh, and then you also had uh, the Orioles saying that they hit a, that there was a snag that required some league clarification when Adam Jones told a reporter on January 27th, again, about a week and a half before this deal actually happens, uh, in Venezuela that he was going to go to Baltimore to take a physical. So Baltimore kind of put the brakes on it to make sure that they weren't going to get dinged for any collusion or any improper contact, because, again, this deal didn't actually happen, and he didn't go to Baltimore to get that physical until the week of the 8th. 
the universe is trying to tell them, this is a bad idea, you guys. I'm going to give you a bunch of outs. Uh, take the hint and walk away. <laughs> Just walk away. <laughs> I, wish, I wish someone would have given me a sign that this trade was a terrible idea, except for how insanely difficult this trade was to make. Despite all of those signs, despite all of those hiccups, Bill Bavese, still all in, said, I know it seems like a long time coming, but these are high-stakes deals. We're getting one hell of a player. One. One hell of a player. Mm -hmm. A singular Mm -hmm. player from hell, I think is what he meant. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just semantics at this point. And if this is how, like, Bill Bavese comes out of, like, high-stakes deals, I want to play poker against him. <laughs> because I have bills to pay, and he has money I can take. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that. I can see him, I can see him uh, folding, essentially, whenever you raise, just, just out of safety. You know, big on, big on safety. Big old mm-hmm. safety bill, I think they called him. I don't think that's true. Yep, and then he'll go all in on pocket twos. <laughs> Tyler, I don't know if you know a lot about poker, but pocket twos, that is as many twos as you can have to start a hand. It's true. So That's a full pocket of twos. <laughs> you could not possibly fit any more twos into your pocket. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Do you actually do, do you play poker? I have uh, on two occasions. Uh oh. Yeah, the first time I won, so I liked it. Uh, <laughs> the second time, I did not win, so I have never played again. I feel like that describes a lot of activities. I did it once and I liked it, and then I did it the second time and I didn't like it, so I don't do it anymore. Yeah, it was it was a serious case of diminishing returns, and I was like, I'm gonna. <laughs> wash my hands of this. I've experienced the good. I've experienced the bad. I don't think there's anything else here for me. That's like watching two seasons of Bill Bavese Seattle Mariners baseball. Minus experiencing any of the good. good. <laughs> Agreed. Bedard, unlike the Mariners and unlike the Orioles, um, didn't necessarily seem to have a dog in the fight, uh, except for he made it sound like he wanted to be traded all along. I get the impression from reading his quotes and kind of from understanding his mental state, uh, which was not always great, that he probably didn't give a shit one way or the other, to be perfectly honest. But I, I, I just think that he didn't get along with anybody he ever worked with. And there are always people like that. Like, it doesn't matter where you work. Like, there's always that guy who's just kind of a dick. And that sounds kind of just like Bedard. So after he gets out of Baltimore, and this whole time, like, this whole, this trade is getting drawn out, and nobody really knows if it's going to go through. Uh, he is, he's, ba- he's at home in Canada just waiting to find out where he needs to report to. He's like, am I going to Florida for spring training? Am I going to Arizona for spring training? Just let me know when it's done. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, which terrible state do I need to occupy exactly. during spring training? Exactly. 
so after this deal gets done, you start to hear some of how these two sides, the Orioles and Bedard, kind of got along, and it turns out not, not very well. Uh, this was a sour working relationship that I think if the Mariners had pressed on that, if they had known, if they had done a little bit more research, kind of figured out where these two sides were coming from, um, I don't think that the asking price would have been as high as it was. Are you sure? <laughs> well, I don't think the asking price could have gotten any higher. Like, the, oh, okay, is, that's true. It is realist. <laughs> it is impossible. It is a logical impossibility to give up more for Eric Bedard. Yeah. Uh, so, if they had actually done their research and, and kind of seen how their how this relationship between Bedard and Baltimore was going, you could have you could have gotten away with only giving up like three or four players. You didn't need yeah. that fifth guy. Yeah, but Vasey would have said, you know what, I'm going to cut you a deal. We're going to knock out Tony Butler. <laughs> he would have been the guy they kept, yeah. <laughs> so so Bedard actually said about, uh, about the whole trade and about working with uh, Baltimore, um, quote, that's the big thing with Baltimore. It seemed like we were always going backward. When I first got there, it was fun because we were signing a lot of guys and we're looking forward to competing with Boston and New York. It all went downhill from there. Yeah, so he was just excited to avoid a rebuilding project uh, in Baltimore. But hold on to your horses, guy, because <laughs> you have not seen downhill yet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he also alluded to um, the Orioles not necessarily wanting to sign him to a long-term contract, which also kind of contradicts what he's talking about, not wanting to stay because they were going to be rebuilding, so why would he want the contract there to begin with? But anyway, point being, he earned $7 million in 2008 with Seattle um, and already had reportedly started talks in a longer-term deal. Which thankfully they did not get done. Yeah, that that would have been that would have been that would have been really bad. the The reason that Bedard is is even on the block to begin with is the Orioles kind of see the writing on the wall. Bedard wants out. They're not going to invest the kind of money that he wants to stay there. So this is a relationship that is coming to an end. Uh, the team still still controls his rights for another two seasons, but. After that, there's there's really there's very little chance that he's going to actually stay in Baltimore. So he would right. hit the open market, and they would get nothing for them for him. That is that's the the negotiating point that <laughs> Seattle completely ignored. Yeah. So they end up giving him uh, seven million dollars in 2008. They avoid arbitration by getting him to sign this deal. Uh, he collects another seven. million in 2009. And then, thankfully, because that long-term deal didn't get done, all he gets from Seattle is a couple of back-to-back one-year free agent deals that amount to $2.5 million. So they learned their lesson. Yeah, and that that price drops, dear listener, you will notice, um, about $5 million uh, after 2009, and there's a very good reason for that. That drop is precipitous. As was his output. Exactly. Um, and his uh, overall health. <laughs> so Bedard made it to Seattle 
in the long run um, after this kind of arduous trade process um, where a thousand red flags were popping up everywhere. But thank God, Bill Bavese made it happen. He powered through, guys. Don't worry. He, he powered through it, and uh, it, it was awful. It was, yeah, it was, it was an it was unmitigated awful. injury disaster, basically from the start. A lot of people will, will recognize, and, and, and this, this happened uh, a couple different times to Mariners fans that I've, that I've talked with. Mariners fans who, who know the team pretty well know the name Bedard and cannot place him in a season or cannot place him in a, in a game. And that's because even though he was with the team for four years, he only started 30 games. Well, he ended up starting 46 games in three and a half seasons. Right. But only 30 games in the first two seasons. first two when he made most of his money. When he made the $14.75 million, he started 30 games. Right. And then pretty much immediately landed on the DL, which was the story of his Seattle career. Yep, uh, July 2008, after making 15 starts, he gets placed on the 15-day DL with some stiffness in his throwing shoulder, uh, ends up missing the rest of the season, and has arthroscopic surgery in September. Yeah. But don't worry, because he comes back in 2009, starts another 15 games, and then has labrum surgery on that same shoulder. Yeah. And then misses the entire 2010 season. Yeah, because, because he's of Eric the labor Bedard. Uh, <laughs> the, the goal, the timeline was for him to come back from that labrum surgery in May or June of 2010. So Seattle signs him to that one-year deal for a million dollars. And instead, multiple setbacks during rehab. He ends up appearing in just three minor league rehab starts all of 2010 and never sniffs a return to the majors at all. Yeah. And and one of the one of the frustrating things that I think we felt as fans at the time, I can certainly speak for myself, I don't want to put words in your mouth, was that when he was playing and he was healthy, he was actually damn good still. He had a great strikeout to walk ratio. Low opponent batting average. Uh, he even though he only had 15 starts in 2008 and 2009 each, he still had a winning record out of those mm-hmm. 15 starts and a pretty good ERA, 3.67 in 2008, 2.82 in 2009, and uh, and a, and a pretty pretty above average WHIP. And he was still a, a a strikeout machine. That was kind of his thing throughout his career, and that may have contributed to his uh, unending shoulder problems, um, was that because he didn't pitch to contact, he often was going into high pitch counts earlier in the game. Um, But uh, when he was around, he was good, and then you just just never saw him again. Yeah. You look at his, his stats that he put up. He has a good ERA, a good strikeout to walk ratio, his batting average against is, is very solid. His whip is good. But the innings pitched. <laughs> what, was his, uh, what was his total innings pitched? In four seasons with the team. Now, this, granted, is also uh, with the lost 2010 season. He pitched a total of 255 and one-third innings. That is... 
That is low. It is low, yeah. Like, that is a heavy workload for one season. But he spaced that out over three. He, yeah. he pitched in 81 innings in 2008 when he was supposed to come in and put this team over the top. Uh, 83 innings in his return of 2009. And then 2011, he actually pitches in 91, point, no, 91 and a third innings. And then we trade him at the trade deadline. So the one year he's actually healthy is also the one year that he has a losing record. And we ended up trading him in a three-team deal with Boston and the Dodgers. We sent Bedard and Josh Fields to Boston. The Dodgers sent Trayvon Robinson to Seattle. Boston sent Juan Rodriguez, Tim Fedorowicz, and Stephen Fife to the Dodgers. And Boston sent Chi Sin Cheng to Seattle. Now, the reason that a lot of those names aren't going to ring many bells is because this trade (laughs) had negligible impact on all three teams. A lot of people moved. None of them really made much of an impact once they got there. Nothing happened. Nothing Um, nothing came of it. In really three seasons of work, you have 255 innings. To put that in perspective, Felix Hernandez pitched 250 innings in 2010. And the Mariners had two pitchers pitch over 190 innings in 2010 and 2011 uh, in both Jason Vargas and Felix Hernandez in both of those years. So you were, you were getting less than a third of a starting pitcher's output, essentially, over the course of three years. Yeah. And if he had just been a guy that they signed off the street... That would have been disappointing. It would have been it would have been disappointing, but you know, at the, at the same time, he wins most of those games. <laughs> yeah, he ends he ends up leaving Seattle with a winning record. He goes fifteen and fourteen <laughs> with a three three one ERA uh, and a one two two six WHIP. If he had just done that in one season, it would have been a huge success. Yeah. But he had to spread that out over four seasons, one of which he doesn't appear in any games. And then you look at what the team gave away, which we'll look at more. Oh boy! Ugh, yeah, I'm already. Yeah, this is. I'm already. This is one that. of those um, trades that uh, it's the the second trade I'm talking about, the trade to Boston. It is interesting, um, and it feels kind of nice, you know, from a Mariners fan perspective, to know that um, he actually was worse. <laughs> Once he left the Mariners. This is one of those situations where Seattle broke his body while he was here. (laughs) And then his psyche once they sent him away. (laughs) So he was a completely broken man and no one else could get anything out of him. Yeah. Yeah. He went uh, one and two in uh, eight starts for Boston in 2011. That was kind of midway through the season. In 2012, he was uh, sent over to Pittsburgh, where he went 7-14, and had a 5.01 ERA, um, and actually tied for second for most losses in the National League. Um, because, again, he started getting back up there in the number of innings he was pitching. So he actually uh, was staying in games longer, which wound up not necessarily being the best thing. In 2013, he pitched for Houston, went 4-12, uh, allowed the... Uh, the eighth most walks in the American League and the second most errors committed by a pitcher. 
in 2014, he went back down to 15 starts for the Tampa Bay Rays and went four and six and uh, didn't pitch again after that. Yeah. Like as good as his as his stats were when he was in Seattle, when he actually was on the field, uh, once he left Seattle, everything just kind of fell apart. Yeah, the, these injuries are starting to kind of mess with his uh, delivery a little bit, which is causing issues with his control, which leads to the elevated walk numbers and his production just tanks. Yeah, and and it, he never winds up coming close to any of the innings pitched. Uh, any of the 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 wins or the the production that he ever had when he was with Baltimore, um, and and looking back, he was improving um, through 2006 and 2007, um, but at the end of it all, the Mariners got a a pitcher who had an average of about a you know a three eight five ERA whose best record so far was 13 and 5 but before that um had only won uh, double digit games once his, his whip in 2007 was great but before that was a little bit above average um and and over time the the gold starts to get worn away from the the turd that is the Eric Eric Bedard like mystique that he held for the Mariners when they first got him and 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 at this point I'm like how how on earth could you give away Adam Jones for Eric Bedard even Adam Jones for Eric Bedard mm-hmm. yeah and a one for one deal Seattle still would have come out a monumental loser in this deal uh, at five for one. That's how this becomes the worst trade in baseball history. One of the worst. There might be another one that's that's worse than this, but I don't know. It it'd be hard, I think. <laughs> <clears throat> we'll have to do some research and get back to you. Again, have not done the research beforehand. We this is semi-professional at best, folks. Yeah. I would not hold your breath on that, on us coming back to this. <laughs> We have more important we, things to discuss. We said, it, we said it with authority. I think that's good <laughs> enough. Um, do you want to talk about Adam Jones? I, I, <sighs> it's so upsetting. It is. Now, let's, let, let us say this for the Mariners. At the time of the trade... Adam Jones had appeared in just 73 games in two seasons with 147 plate appearances. Uh, he was uh, an average hitter. He only had three home runs in those two seasons, 12 RBI. He was a young player. He was still developing. Um, that being said, once he got to Baltimore and had the opportunity to become an everyday player, uh, he kind of exploded. He absolutely exploded yeah 2006 2007 now adam jones is a former first round pick of the seattle mariners in 2003 makes his debut with the mariners in 2006 where he hits 216 uh in 2006 and 246 in 2007 so not bad for a young player who's acclimating but he was not an everyday starter for them 
So he is included in the package. He goes to Baltimore in 2008 and immediately figures out hitting at the major league level. Yeah. Almost instantaneously. Instantaneously. Uh, he has a 270 batting average, 311 on base percentage, 400 slugging percentage. Hits nine home runs, 57 RBI, scores 61 runs, uh, and steals 10 bases. Uh, so basically, all the things that you want your center fielder to do, Adam <laughs> Jones was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Sure. And 2008 was just the start because yeah. that 270, 311, 400 is ends up being his lowest numbers as a professional until 2015. He continues to improve. Uh, He's hitting in the 280s most years. He's slugging well over 400. Uh, 2012, he slugs 505. He hits 25 home runs or more in uh, five straight seasons. He has now been to five All-Star games. He's won four gold gloves, one silver slugger, and has finished in the top 15 of MVP voting three times, including when he finished sixth in 2012, and arguably has become one of the better center fielders in all of baseball. Yeah. He figured it out quick and to a a startling degree, and at one point from uh, 2010 through 2014, uh, when he hit 284, 280, 287, uh, 285, and then 281, he had five straight years of hitting over 280, which no one has done for the Mariners since Ichiro Suzuki. Who Adam Jones could have played next to for a while. Who Adam Jones could have played next to yeah. for uh, for those almost exact five years. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, we, we buried the stat of the podcast, Tyler, a little bit. We usually have a stat of the podcast at, at the beginning, and I, I wanted to save it because this is a good one. Um, and by good one, it made me want to vomit into my drink. So through eight full seasons with Baltimore, he's into his ninth right now. Uh, Adam Jones has a total war a total war of 26.6. That war in eight seasons since the Mariners gave him away is good for eighth all time in the Seattle Mariners organization. Eighth all time. Yeah, he was. He would be a Ring of Honor candidate if he was at still this, in Seattle. At this point, yeah. that's a higher war than Jay Buhner, than Alvin Davis, Mr. Mariner, uh, Alvin Davis. Mr. Mariner, uh, Harold Reynolds. I mean, people that we talk about as some of the best Mariners all all time. It, 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 he's right behind Jamie Moyer. He has uh, he he averaged per season. Uh, so in eight full seasons with Baltimore, he averaged a WAR of three point three three, which actually puts him as sixth all time in. Uh, war per year uh, behind Ken Griffey Jr., Ichiro Suzuki, Felix Hernandez, Randy Johnson, uh, and Edgar Martinez. The next would have been Adam Jones, then Jamie Moyer, Alvin Davis, Jay Buhner, and Harold Reynolds rounding out the top. That's for uh, yeah. people who have played at least eight seasons with the with the team that they're on. The So basically... He is up there with the Mount Rushmore of Seattle Mariner 
players. If Adam Jones was doing this for the Seattle Mariners, he would he would be the cornerstone of the offense as Felix Hernandez has become the cornerstone of the pitching. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting when you look at Adam Jones in Baltimore that he he goes there as a young player and becomes an incredibly productive and durable player for the Orioles. Uh, one at one point in one season, he actually plays in ev- in every game, all 162 games. Basically, yeah. Basically, he is the anti Eric Bedard. For, <laughs> like this trade went completely opposite directions. Bedard goes to Seattle and his arm falls off. Uh, Adam Jones goes to Baltimore and is like, oh, I know how to baseball. And yeah, becomes and I also hear he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which Eric Bedard was not. He was yeah. Eric Bedard had an attitude problem. He was surly. Adam Jones has become like the face of the franchise on and off the field. He's like an ambassador for the game for the Orioles. And I cannot uh, confirm this, but I hear that he routinely makes the rest of the team waffles in the oh, morning. Well, there you go. Yeah, uh, put him put him in the MVP voting every year just for that. Yeah. Makes a mean waffle. And, again, I don't want to start any rumors, but you heard it here first. Adam Jones, uh, waffle king of Baltimore. That's a controversial stance. (laughs) We're going to get some emails on that one, I'll bet. (laughs) We have to talk about four other people. Yeah, um, so that's Because of how terrible this trade was. If we just stopped there, if we stopped at Adam Jones for Eric Bedard... And the two, the, their two careers go in completely different directions. We would go, wow, that was a terrible trade. Maybe one of the worst in franchise history. But wait, there's more. Yeah, it's, um, it's like the gift that keeps on giving if, if that gift was... If you were a Baltimore Orioles fan, yeah, this is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> or if you're a Mariners fan, like, um, I don't know, like a hernia. Yeah. Or herpes just keeps coming back. Herpes keep, is a really good one. Keep I like getting that. reminded of it. It just keeps you keep yeah. getting flare ups every now and then. You're like, oh right, damn it! <laughs> I I totally forgot about this. I forgot about this for a moment in time. I had fleeting happiness. <sighs> I have to join that website that's dating for people who have herpes now, mm-hmm. and I don't know what that thing is called, but um, it does exist. That's interesting it's that you know that it exists and that it's out there. I, I, I heard it from a friend. I'm sure you did. It was Eric Bedard. <laughs> if we had stopped at Adam Jones for Eric Bedard, one of the worst trades ever. But Seattle sends four additional players to Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, only one of which has any major league experience at the time of the trade, and that's George Sherrill. Mm-hmm. He was a middle reliever for Seattle from 2004 to 2007. Uh, didn't really have a role in the bullpen necessarily, particularly not the role that he took over in Baltimore because uh, he yeah. only records four saves in the four seasons that he's in Seattle. Um, he has a pretty average numbers. He's not in there very often. He wasn't he wasn't used as a as a closer for no, Seattle. No, so no. having four saves is not yeah that's an not entirely it's not a knock on his production. Stat. Yeah, uh, he wasn't put in those situations. Now in 2007, though, if you look at his season in 2007, he pitches at the time a career high 45.2 innings in re, in relief, 
uh, has a 2.36 ERA, a .985 WHIP, 56 strikeouts to just 17 walks, and he gets three of his four career Seattle saves. At that clutch. point, at that point, you're looking at that, you go, that guy could totally close for us, but instead we're going to send him to Baltimore, mm-hmm. where he then does close for them, and closes extremely well right out of the gate. Yeah. So he ends up in 2008 saving 31 of 37 games, uh, goes to the All-Star game. (laughs) (laughs) But his success, success, much like the success of Adam Jones, is immediate. And so you, one, have to go, well, good for them, but also what was Seattle doing with these guys? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's 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 part of that thing that we've talked about before, which is, is it bad luck? Is it bad timing? Is it a misevaluation of talent? Is it poor instruction? Um, are they bad at developing talent? And I, I mean, that certainly seems to be demonstrated in people like. Uh, Adam Jones, like George Sherrill, like a, a couple of people that have left the Salem Mariners organization and thrived almost immediately. It feels like there must just be something that um, the Mariners as an organization do not do to foster talent very well. Yeah. But just to wrap up the George Sherrill deal, in uh, one and a half seasons with Baltimore, because the Orioles end up trading him midway through the 2009 season, but in one and a half seasons with Baltimore... He has a 3.71 ERA and saves 51 games with 97 strikeouts in 94 and two-thirds innings pitched. They put him in, a, in the role that he had, could have success in, and he rewarded them with uh, a season and a half of really solid production. Now, fun fact about George Sherrill, he actually came back to Seattle in 2012 as a free agent. Seattle was like, yeah, well, we're, he's figured it out. We're going to get put him in some good situations. Oh, wait. Uh, he appeared in 1.1 innings across two games and had an ERA of 27 <laughs> and a whip of 5.25. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work out the way they thought it, it would. It went poorly. He, uh, he thrived uh, with, with Baltimore in that closing position, Wound up not really being in a closing position ever since then, and it's surprising because uh, so he played for the Dodgers and then Atlanta after Baltimore, and it, it it does seem weird to me that he was never really put into that position again, where it seemed like Baltimore had kind of figured it out. This is kind of all starting that weird thing where Baltimore is now suddenly a really good team. All that really started in two thousand eight. Yeah, uh, and a lot of it can be contributed directly to the players that the Mariners gave them. Yeah, the Seattle Mariners single-handedly ended Baltimore's playoff drought by taking Eric Bedard and giving them these cornerstones for a playoff run and the cornerstones for continued success and being able to continue to compete in the AL East. Because while they traded away George Sherrill, you have Adam Jones playing every day, and then you have a young man by the name of Chris Tillman come God up into the rotation. Now, Chris Tillman was the second-round pick of Seattle in the 2006 draft. And we have talked about Seattle's inability to draft good players. 
Oh, no, no. They can draft them. <laughs> they just happen to trade away probably two of their best draft choices to Baltimore. If you want to know how good the Mariners can draft, watch a game in which Chris Tillman starts and Adam Jones is hitting. Yeah. It does feel like the good players that the Mariners have been drafting, they've been giving away freely, uh, could not get rid of fast enough. Chris Tillman is is an odd one because that one is a little bit harder to gauge. I, I This season might wind up being a little bit of an anomaly, but 2013, 2014, uh, he, was also, he was also pretty good. Um, yeah. He has yeah. been a, a cornerstone for Baltimore just as much as Adam Jones has. Absolutely. And I think Seattle knew he was going to be a good talent because he was their, the minor league pitcher of the year uh, in 2007 for their farm, the entire farm system. Um, and so they end up tr- shipping him off to Baltimore. He makes his debut in 2009 with the Orioles at age 21 as the fourth youngest player in the American League um, and, has been, and has continued to improve each season, uh, became really a full-time starter in 2013 when he made 33 starts. And went 16 and seven with a 3.71 ERA, a 1.221 WHIP, 179 strikeouts to 68 walks, pitched 206 innings, uh, so almost as many innings as Eric Bedard did his entire career with Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, and went to the All Star game. Yeah. And since 2013, when he became a full time starter, he's won at least 11 games every season. Now, 2015 was a little bit rough. He went 11-11 with a 4.99 ERA, but he is still productive. He still pitches deep into games. He gives them production. Uh, this yeah. season, he's figured it out. Uh, so far, <laughs> so far in 2016, he has made 15 starts. Again, matching the number of starts that Eric Bedard had in both 2008 and 2009, the entire seasons. Yeah. So, so far this season, he has 15 starts. He is 10-1 and one with a 3-1-1 ERA, a 1-1-4-9 whip with 86 strikeouts, 31 walks, and has already pitched 89.2 innings. Yeah, he's going yeah. to the All-Star game again. He's absolutely going to the All-Star game. And uh, another fun, fun fact, since trading him away, Chris Tillman has uh, never lost to the Seattle Mariners. In fact, he is 7-0. and against the Seattle Mariners. Just just turning the knife. Sticking the knife in and turning it ever so slowly as a, a, the most painful reminder of what the Mariners gave away yeah. for Eric Bedard. It's still haunting us. Adam Jones is still hitting home runs against the Mariners, and Chris Stillman is still pitching extremely well against them. Yep. And the Chris Tillman thing hurts a little bit more this season with him having so much success early and the Mariners rotation falling apart. They, you know, you have Felix currently on the DL, you have Wade Miley on the DL, uh, Taiwan Walker now has tendonitis in his foot. Nathan Carnes yeah. can't get out of the fifth inning. And you have a guy who is entering his prime. Like this is his prime. These are his prime years entering them with Baltimore and pitching great. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, it is frustrating because of kind of where the, 
where the Mariners are now, I challenge you to think of where the Mariners may have been in 2014, where... Chris Tillman went 13-6. and six. You'll remember the Mariners missed out on the playoffs by a single game. So add Chris Tillman to Felix Hernandez, who went 15-6, and six, Hisashi Iwakuma, who went 15-9, and nine, and Chris Young, who went 12-9. and nine. Uh, And then you could uh, put somewhere in there a combination of Rowenis Elias and uh, James Paxton. And completely eradicate Erasmo Ramirez, pretending yeah. he didn't exist. Yeah, shoot him into um, the sun where he belongs. <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, maybe you actually have a team that would have gone to the World Series. This is a this is a fun game, Tyler, that I think that we can play <laughs> for a long time, which is what the Mariners would have done if they have kept the players that they should have kept. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very long rabbit hole, yeah. and uh, we don't come out of it sober or happy. Yeah, how many lives could Chris Tillman have saved if he had still, if he had still played in Seattle? <laughs> The answer, countless, countless lives. <laughs> so that's on you, Bill Bavese. Yep, yep, 100%. 100%. I hear that uh, if Chris Tillman were still in Seattle, that uh, they would have finished the Alaskan Way Viaduct Tunnel by now. Yeah, and it would have had basically zero problems. Yeah, and come in under budget. Mm-hmm. These, this is the power of Chris Tillman that yeah. the Mariners didn't didn't understand. Nope. They didn't get it. Nope. If Chris Tillman was in Seattle, then uh, Russell Wilson wouldn't have thrown an interception to end the Super Bowl against the Patriots. They would have won. Uh, they would have handed it off to Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. If Chris Tillman were still in Seattle, he would have saved the Sonics. He would have saved the Sonics. Oh, man. How dare you, Bill Pavese. That earlier invitation to come on so we could make you cry, revoked. <laughs> I hope he listens to this show. Just, just, just like I hope that Sean Figgins does, but I know that they don't care. Yeah. Well, at this point, we've mentioned Bill Bavese so often that he probably is going to start taking credit as like a co-host, like a silent co-host. <laughs> Which he, uh, th- that, that fits his profile pretty well, I yeah. feel like, taking credit for something that has absolutely nothing to do with him. I don't want this podcast to be something that he takes credit for, because that means that we might both wind up having shoulder surgery at some point. Yeah. I'm well on my way. I don't... <laughs> You've been having those rotator cuff problems for a while. I yeah, guess, I have. If yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. If Chris Tillman were still in Seattle, he could have healed both my shoulders, so... <laughs> And then your problems would be solved. Yeah. Then I could be that sixth starter for the Mariners. But no. <laughs> that was the only thing that was holding you back. Yep. Now that's exactly how I feel. I think that's how most baseball fans feel. Yeah. It wasn't in any way the fact that I am... It's not at all the fact that I'm three to four years older than Chris Tillman. That's not what happened. <laughs> it's the fact that he left and didn't heal my shoulders retroactively. I mean, let's be honest. We are... Um, I think we're we're well past our prime, Tyler. What? I, we are? I don't think that we will be playing for a professional baseball team anymore. Oh, is it time to give up the dream? I, th- I think it might be time to give up the dream. Oh, no. Unless one of us wants to pull a uh, Kevin Costner in For Love of the Game and make a terrible game, movie. Was it, was it the rookie? Uh, no, it was For Love of the Game, the, Who is the one the where rookie? he played for... The about rookie? the science teacher who threw like 99 miles an hour. Oh, wasn't that um, 
Oh my god. Alright, I'm gonna have to look it up. <laughs> this is gonna bug me. Keep talking about baseball while I look at the rookie. Okay. So, in addition to those three players who were highly productive for Baltimore, uh, they did get two additional players who, thankfully, did not go on to the All-Star game. Cam McColio appeared in just 23 games over three seasons for Baltimore between 2008 and 2010. 4-3-2 ERA, a 1.52 whip, 26 strikeouts, and just 25 innings pitched. So he was kind of that middle relief, low impact kind of guy. A fun fact, though, he is very tall. <laughs> he is six feet nine inches. So, and he ended up going on to pitch in Japan, where I hear he was very big. Well, I, you mean big, like tall, or and successful? Oh, okay. So a both a double whammy works on multiple levels. <laughs> he uh, played very well in Japan, and. Uh, also stood out in a crowd. Yeah. So yeah. good for him. Yeah. Uh, and then the fifth player in that trade was Tony Butler, uh, who was picked in the third round by Seattle in 2006, uh, but he never rose higher than AA in the minor leagues. Uh, he bounced around. From, he went from Seattle's farm system to Baltimore's farm system to Milwaukee's farm system, spent a number of years in the independent leagues. So he, he gave it, he gave it a, the good college try, didn't pan out. So, but still, for for Baltimore to get three All Stars for one guy who could not stay healthy for an entire season, a big a big coup for them. Yeah. I have an important announcement. Okay. Okay. It was Dennis Quaid. It's like the uglier Kevin Costner. <laughs> You know what? Next time I see him, I'm going to tell him you said that. Good. Good. Tell him what where do you, I live. What do you have against Dennis Quaid? Nothing. What did he do to he's, you? He's an excellent actor. He's very accomplished. He's been around forever. He's just like a less attractive Kevin Costner. That's not a knock on him. Know. Kevin Costner is a good-looking guy. Kevin Costner is a, is a handsome devil. A former sexiest man alive, I believe, according to people. I magazine. think Dennis Quaid might be the former sexiest man alive. You're going to have to Google that. I don't think that's true. Dennis Quaid. Right now, this this is what this podcast does to me. I am typing into Google Dennis Quaid, sexiest man alive. Yeah, your Google searches are going to get real skewed. He was voted sexiest man alive by Glamour. Oh, that doesn't count. That's that's the Ugly People magazine. So. <laughs> so that makes sense. That that, that your your strong opinions about. Glamour and Dennis Quaid might come back to haunt us in terms of funding and uh, advertisements, sir. If our not success, the, not the Glamour, whatever, give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say if our success or failure hinges on the investment of Glamour magazine, <laughs> we're in hot water. He was voted People's Sexiest Man Alive over fifty. So that's, there was a qualifier. That's in quite it. the caveat. Do you know? Do you know? Oh, no, never mind. He was voted in 2005 as the second most sexy man over 50. Uh, <laughs> do you know who he lost out to? 
Probably Kevin Costner. It was Kevin Costner. I'm telling you. <laughs> Me saying that is not a knock on Dennis Quaid. It's just that he, Kevin Costner is a high bar to hit. Do you, do you think they have a beef? Do probably, and like, it probably all stems from this people's most beautiful over 50. Man, like, like Dennis Quaid doesn't like Kevin Costner. That makes me sad, because I imagine them as both like kind of gentle, caring souls. Again, this is just me. I've, I, I, <laughs> I haven't done any research on it. This is just your, your, uh, the feeling you get from about two minutes of Google searches. <laughs> Uh, well, no, I mean... And watching, you know, I've, watching I've, I've, their films. I've seen, I've seen Dances with Wolves and The Parent Trap, you know? I feel like those are both pretty good representations of them as people. But, uh, but I've been fooled before, sir. Just so. like Dennis Quaid was in The Parent Trap. <laughs> uh, and just like Bill Bavese was in The Bedard Trade. See how we're bringing it back yeah, around, folks? It all connects. You knew we'd get back here eventually. Do we have any parting thoughts other than um, wanting desperately now to watch The Parent Trap? <laughs> uh, I don't... <laughs> are, you, I, are you still upset about Adam Jones? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine us finding a worse trade in Seattle Mariners history. Uh, I mean, we're sure going to try. We are. We are. We're going to uh, do our I, due diligence. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I I don't really have anything to add other than I completely agree on every account. And Adam Jones, if you're listening to this podcast, please come back. Uh, we miss you dearly. And if Chris Tillman is listening, please come back. You're basically our only hope. <laughs> and and our worst enemy since mm-hmm. you're seven and zero against us since leaving. Yeah, we get it. Well, you've made you've made your point. Well, um, once again, this has not been fun. Um, but uh, I love I love talking to you, and I'm glad that we get to do this every now and then. And I'm glad that our listeners are sticking around for it, and and getting to wallow in the misery that is being a Seattle Seattle Mariners fan. Um, I think that we're also both in kind of a bad spot because uh, Mariners have not been playing very well lately. Remember May. May was oh, cool. God, May. May let's, was cool. Let's go back to May. Yeah. May was a blast. Yeah. Remember in May when no one was broken? <laughs> <laughs> and, and pitchers pitched well and, and, and hitters could hit. Actually, hitters can still hit in June. Um, but remember when pitchers pitched well? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, May. Ah, uh, May. We'll always have May. We'll always have May. You can find us... On uh, oh my gosh, we're everywhere. We you can are, find yeah. us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. Rate and review us on iTunes. That's probably the best thing you can do for the podcast uh, in terms of promotion. Um, give us those tasty, tasty stars. Uh, we crave them like Dennis Quaid craves acting roles. And uh, you can find us on Gmail. Send us a, an email at yowidepodcast uh, at gmail.com. If you prefer Dennis Quaid over Kevin Costner, send us an email. If Chris Tillman, uh, if you traded away Chris Tillman and then he came back and beat you 
um, in uh, quite a few games over the course of a couple of years, send us an email. What else am I missing? Uh, I think I think those are all the emails that we can handle. <laughs> those are all the topics that we want to that we want in our inbox. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, YOY Podcast, and on Twitter at YOY Podcast. Follow us for all the latest updates and musings on the misery that is the Mariners. Uh, oh, but it's so fun. It is. <laughs> all right, sir. It's been fun. All right. Have a good night. And we will catch you all at the, on the next episode where we will again try to really bring you down. <laughs> Sleep well and uh, dream of Bill Bavese, everybody. Good night. Good night.